Welcome to Education Today, where we'll have conversations with the educators, thought leaders, researchers, and entrepreneurs whose perspectives on teaching and learning are defining and driving innovation in K-12 education. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. Each episode, we'll dig into topics, including how schools are succeeding with technology, current best practices in pedagogy and instruction, the data-driven insights that are changing our understanding of teaching and learning, and much, much more. And now, let's get on to today's show. Looking forward to this conversation for many different reasons, and we've talked recently about um, topics and, and the importance of context and the role that education plays in some very heavy um, and pivotal discussions, not just within schools, but really from uh, you know communities around the country and the world. We're going to be spending time today with Baruti Kafele. Obviously, most of you know him as Principal Kafele. Uh, I'm not sure if his family calls him that. We'll ask him that during the end. <laughs> the interview. Uh, he's a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and Milken award-winning educator who spent nearly 30 years as an urban public school teacher and principal in New Jersey. His books include Motivating Black Males to Achieve in School and in Life, Closing the Attitude Gap, How to Fire Up Your Students to Strive for Success, and The Teacher 50, Critical Questions for Inspiring Classroom Excellence. Well, uh, Rudy, it's great to be spending some time with you. We have uh, chatted on and off over you know the last so many years and what I love about your perspective and those that follow you, and you should, I would recommend following you on Facebook. Um, you, you, call, you call balls and strikes, uh, incredibly transparent uh, to include your own sort of fallibility and blind spots. And I've always thought that that is incredibly important in a world that is, uh, you know, always concerned about being politically correct. And in, in times like this, I think what you're doing and the way in which you communicate about these very, very important issues is incredibly compelling and we all should be uh, sort of standing at attention and, and paying attention to you in that regard. So tell me about this recent um, article that you wrote about talking to students about social justice, because I think that there are probably more questions than answers right now from not only uh, school leaders, but also parents and community leaders as well. Yeah, um, you know, I'm I'm just elated that finally we can have these conversations on a large scale because you, you think about social justice education, you think about equity, um, and 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 these conversations and these and, and these implementations have not always been there. Um, some of us, I, I think back on my early days as a classroom teacher, and I, I had to make sure the coast was clear before I could get into issues of social justice with uh, my students. So, so back in those days, talk about so, the quote unquote social justice education, there, there was no label. I became a teacher in 1988 and there, there, there was no label designation of what this was. For me, it was just a natural conversation because when I think about social justice education without a formal definition, my informal, I'm, I'm saying the, the, the exploration the examination, the the analysis, the critique of of the world around that student and how that student fits into that world, which which may ask the question, since I'm African American and, and, and the whole topic is coming up around issues of African Americans in relationship to police, is what with, with all of this new discussion as it relates to school is is kind of emanating out of. So I'm saying for that for that African American youngster what does the world look like for him? What does it look, what, what does it feel like to walk in his shoes or her shoes? What is that reality? What are those experiences? What are, what are, what are, what are those challenges? What are those obstacles? 
and 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 then looking at the look so looking at from from the vantage point of the youngster but then talking about through talking about it through the lens of the others who are present so such as a classroom learning environment so you've got a you've, you've got peers who may not be african-american who may not understand because it hasn't been articulated, it hasn't been expressed by youngster or, 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 or the non-African-American youngster just hasn't seen it up close. So now I don't really understand what it is to walk in your shoes. So this social justice education allows all of us as a classroom to be able to look at life, look at the world through the lens of the various different races and ethnicities and cultures within the classroom. So in my, in, in, in my example here, that African-American child. So, so what, what, what is that? We're, we're in the same classroom. We're in the same school. We have the same teachers, the same principal, same counselors, but our worlds are so vastly different. And then that becomes that education. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm elated that the conversation has started and Zoom has given me an opportunity, this platform of Zoom has given me the opportunity to have this conversation with, um, with educators more so over the past two months than I've been able to have as a presenter in 30 some odd years, right? Because, because now people want this conversation. So it's like prior to um, uh, George Floyd particularly, People weren't calling Principal Kefele to talk about social justice education. But now, since George Floyd, uh, Principal Kefele, uh, can you talk to the staff? Can, can you make some book recommendations? Can you, can, you know, so now this is what everybody, I don't even have this topic on my website. I'm going to put it on there. But, but, but in the interim, this is where the interest is. This is what people want to talk about. I just finished doing it before we got on with, with another district. How do we understand the balance of time in this discussion, because I think when there is a seminal event, like you just mentioned, um, things, they sort of, they, they go, we, you know, we're, we're absolutes, I think, as humans. We, we go in one direction, and then we go in, we see it in athletics, right? So if we have sort of a, a nice player's coach, that doesn't work out, now we want a taskmaster. And when that doesn't work out, we go, we keep swinging the pendulum. How do we understand when we've hit sort of that, that, that middle ground where the conversations can be, they're set up to be productive and can, you could, learning can be extracted from them. Because of course, right now there's a lot of emotion. I think uh, there are a number of groups that are, they don't even know how to participate in the conversation. They want to participate, but they don't even know the first step. They almost feel like they've gone back to being an infant and saying, I don't even know which foot to put in front of the other. Yep. And see, that's why the training is so important. Like, let's, let me couple this with the word equity. I say to my, my, my audiences, I say, you know, equity, because, you know, they'll come in, we want you to engage them in equity training. I said, you know, equity is not solely something that you do. Equity is who you are. So if you're sitting there with your arms folded and, and the mindset is, I don't, I don't need this, right? See, that, 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 that doesn't speak to your, your skill set, your ability, that speaks to what's happening inside here. I always say equity is not just what you do. It is who you are. It is a reflection of the teacher's humanity toward children, right? A window to your soul. Because see, equity, to me, it shouldn't be something that we have to teach. 
because we're saying that we have a classroom full of young people in different at different levels in different places in different spaces so if i love children the way i claim to then 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 equity is going to kick in without me necessarily having to be trained that i need to look at them through a different lens an equity lens i know that this youngster here needs a different skill set for of me than this youngster over here and it, without confusing it with this youngster needs more time from me than this youngster here. This youngster needs something different of me, which requires me to enhance my own ability, my own skill set toward being able to meet the needs of this youngster, this youngster, that youngster, that youngster, etc. So now when you go to social justice education to kind of use that as the bridge to get there, I'm thinking about the fact that social justice, just like equity is not an add-on. Neither is social justice education. Because see, social, for, for social justice education to be authentic, then it's, it's, it's going to emerge in a math lesson, right? When we think about it as being this separate conversation, it's going to emerge in a math, session, re, re, math lesson relative to numbers. It's going to emerge in a language arts lesson relative to a plethora of different conversations. It's going to emerge in a science lesson relative to science and various different scientists, right? And, and, and it'll, it'll emerge in a history slash social studies lesson, again, pretty, pretty, pretty naturally in that regard with language arts as opposed to the way it would in science and math. But, but we can talk about math and talk about social justice just in terms of the conversations we have about numbers, right? And, and, and I don't mean necessarily numerically, but just everything is math. So now, so, so now whatever it is we're talking about in mathematics, it could be a word problem, whatever the case may be, we can tie into that a conversation about justice. It's just a matter of the creativity and the forethought of a teacher to be able to authentically and, and intelligently engage young people in that conversation so that it becomes woven into the fabric of what we do in the classroom as opposed to let's now spend the next 45 minutes on just talking about social justice. See, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I can't treat it that way. That's like, it's February, let's, let's um, pull out the, the African-American history book. I'm so glad and, you brought that up because that's what I wanted to ask. March. <laughs> which is, what is the role of education in that manner? Because I'm so, cause I was writing that down is to say, well, what about Black History Month? You know, how is that any different than Earth Day when we, oh, now I need to think about you know, planting a tree or celebrating a holiday. If we're talking about the fabric and it's about who you are, it seems that education could play a lead role in this sort of play that is our life uh, as a society in impacting the discussion around social justice and that fabric, that weaving of that fabric through everything that we do as opposed to February, every year we're gonna sort of shine a light and check boxes. Yep, see it's, it's like, I, you know, even prior to the formal discussion on social justice, I'm, I'm in auditoriums and, I'm, and I'm, I'm having the equity conversation even before there was language for equity in the classroom, just, just, just meeting youngsters where they are. So I'm saying to teacher, you know, you, you, you do youngster a disservice. If you're selling youngster on, on, on the notion of work hard, give maximum effort, and success will be waiting for you on the other side of the experience. I say you're doing them a disservice because on the, from the social justice perspective, that youngster now has to learn how to navigate these waters. Because see, I, I was sold on the hard work thing. So, so, so here, I, I, I gave my all 
I graduate um, undergrad with a 3.9 in a business management slash marketing as a business management management marketing major. I'm thinking Wall Street is going to give me some kind of job, right? New York, or somewhere in New York City. And I learned very quickly that that degree and that key, that grade point average meant absolutely nothing because I, I I was book smart, but I didn't know this. I didn't know how to navigate. I didn't. So so let me let me let me let me not sugarcoat this. Let me. I didn't know that as a black man, I had to move differently. I didn't understand that because I'm I'm thinking I got this three nine. I did what they told me to do. Somebody's going to give me an opportunity. I couldn't buy a job, right? So I was so dis- I was so upset about it that I took my college ring and drove down to Liberty Park here in Jersey City, which which is right at the Hudson River, where you can look at the Statue of Liberty, and threw that college ring in the direction of the Statue of Liberty. It's sitting. It's been sitting there since 1986 because I couldn't get a job. My wife and I go down to that park from time to time and I kind of reminisce that my ring is sitting in that water somewhere. And, and, and so a, a few weeks later, it hit me. I said, why, why did you do something that stupid? It, it's, it's, it's not that, that somebody owed you something. You didn't know how to do this. So along the way, I figured that out. But as I figured it out and what was on the other side was not, this business management career. I said, I don't even want to, I don't even want to be in this industry. I want to be a teacher. So, but it took figuring it out to say that I studied something that I didn't want in the first place. I want to be a teacher. I feel like I was born to be a teacher, you know, so, but, but I had to figure all that out. So I'm saying that to say this, and that social justice conversation in whatever, with couch, in whatever, whatever the conversation may be, got to talk to young people about the fact that, look, <laughs> the world is the world. I, 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 like, I'll meet a teacher, and, and I meet this teacher all over America, and this teacher is very passionate. She's, she's typically a white woman, right? And she'll say to me in the middle of a discussion, wait a minute, Kefele, uh, for a Principal Kefele, all this talk about race and ethnicity and culture. Look, I don't see that in my classroom. I, I, I meet this teacher all over America and she and, and, and she's never spoke to me in a calm tone. She gets excited and she's and she's typically very young. And she says, Principal Kefele, I don't see that. She stands up as a matter of fact. I don't see that. I see my children. I see my babies. What is all this talk about black and white, right? And then, and then her, 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 she usually has a fan club. This is anywhere in America. She has a fan club to cheer her on while I'm standing there as the consultant for the day. So now she goes on, on this rant. I don't see it. I don't know why we're even talking about this, right? So then I say, so I stay calm. Young lady, let me, let, me just, let me just say these two things to you. Just two things. Number one. Nah, number one, we'll say one, one or three things. Number one, I hear you. What you just said to me is noble. You see your babies, you see children. I get it, but here, but here's the problem, right? So num- number one, those children that you're seeing as babies and therefore having this equality mindset, I give what I give you, I give you, I give you. 
I said, that youngster at three o'clock when your bell rings to dismiss these students is going outside in a world that's going to see them in a way that you're not seeing them and you're not going to have them prepared for that because that world exists right now. As much as we would like it to shift, it exists right now. It's gonna see them for who they are. That's number one. But bigger than that, number two, or we can call three, bigger than that, that which you're denying is that youngster's identity. His, a part of his individuality or her individuality, a, that which make, comprises who that youngster is. Why are we going to suppress that? Why are we going to deny that instead of accentuating it, instead of celebrating it, instead of magnifying it? So that on the one hand, that, that African-American youngster, that Latino youngster, that youngster of color feels this sense of pride in who I am. But on the other hand, those non-African-American or those non-Latino, those non-students of color sitting in that classroom Get to get a get to learn a different perspective of who that youngster is because you think about the the, the largest consumer of hip hop music is a white youth uh, worldwide white youth so now they're loving the music and they're loving the artists so now be, be, because that's their primary vehicle to black life those lyrics and that imagery in their mind in so many of them that's what it is to be black and see in terms of the rapper. That's not what I identify with. I identify with, with, with W.E.B. Du Bois and, and Malcolm and Martin and Marcus Garvey and Frederick Douglass and so forth. I don't identify with some rapper spewing the N-word, right? So, 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 but, but if that youngster who's non-African-American, if that's his exposure, then, then in his mind, that's blackness. Just, just that one, that's the monolith of blackness, blackness. So now he'll emulate that and he'll call himself being cool, acting black, because he doesn't know what black is. But if I'm in a classroom with a teacher with a, with a, with a social justice mindset, right, with an equity mindset, with a cultural competence, with a, with a cultural relevance perspective, with a cultural responsiveness perspective, then I can take that youngster who, who is not African-American and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me expose you to some other areas. Let me expose you to some other things so that you're able to see your black peers in the classroom through a much broader lens and, and therefore develop a much fuller understanding. So if I give you a blank canvas uh, and, and paints, when you talk about that teacher um, that is representative in these, in these sessions, what is the look? How would you paint that picture when you do go over those three points with them in with their their fan club and all of these sorts of things? Because, of course, I, I would imagine this hits them like a semi truck to some degree. Yeah. Uh, paint that picture for me the 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 public view and look of that individual when they actually sort of ingest what you're what you're sharing. Yeah, it's you know, it's I've been in I've been in several environments with that conversation. Um, I've been in some that were just outright hostile. They were so hostile that they they took to my um, my my social media at night and ripped me apart, right? Um, all sorts of racial slurs. Um, so I've been in that environment, and it wasn't that I was in there. See, in other words, you, we're talking about a superintendent who will call me and say we have issues. So, and I get to see the issues. So we have issues. Our, our student body is, is, is predominantly of color. 
but it doesn't, but it's not reflected in our staff. We're having diversity issues. So, so, so I'm in there, like, like what I'm talking to you about right now, the things I just said, I would put this in the category of like light. This is light stuff. I, I, I haven't gotten heavy. This, 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 this is lightweight. So this is what I, this is what I bring to a school. I didn't get heavy. Cause, cause I, because I know they're not re- heavy is when I've been in that school maybe five times and, and, and we've gotten to know one another. We're comfortable with one another. And now let me ratchet it up. This is like intro. This is lightweight because the stuff I'm saying here is light. So now I've been in that situation where they're, they're so angry that it's, it's going to be a long day. I've been in other places where I paint the picture. And when the teacher heard me and the audience heard me, they're like, oh, now they settle down. And now we can have a very good day, right? So I've, 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 been, I've been in a situation where the audience got up and walked out and the superintendent couldn't explain it, right? So I've had another situation where I said to the superintendent, let's discontinue this relationship and you get your staff to a certain level where they can appreciate the, the content and then I'll come back, right? So because it's, 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 it's so toxic. Because we're talking about, in, in some cases, a situation where folks just haven't been exposed to this before. It's so new that I, it's, it's created cognitive dissonance. Like, let me give you this example. I, I've got this, ex, I've got this um, experiment, I, I guess that you could call it, almost a survey that, I, that I'll do with, um, with staffs when I'm asked to come in and talk about these issues, diversity and race and ethnicity and cultural competence and so forth. So since that's what I'm coming in there to talk about, I don't have to kind of build my way to it over the next two hours to kind of get people where I need them to be. Because a lot of times that's, that is my strategy. But when I'm, when I'm there for that reason, I say, okay, well, let me just dive in. So now I do this little exercise and I'll say, for those of you that never heard of me before, if those of you who were familiar with my work, I don't, I, want, I don't want you to be a part of this. I just want you to observe it. But, but for those of you that don't know, you never heard of Principal Cafele, I want you to be a part of this, this, this exercise. I say, for those of you that never heard of me, when you saw me walk in this room and set up my computer and, and, and then turn to you, I, I want you to tell me honestly what you just saw. Did you see the presenter or did you see the black presenter. Tell me what, tell me who you just saw. So they, they, you know, it's, 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 nobody wants to touch that. So it's quiet and I'll keep pushing, you know, come on somebody, come on, talk to me. who you see? And then finally somebody will, I'll go. I saw the black presenter. Very good, very good, very good. Somebody else jump on in here. I saw a black presenter. Very good, very good. Someone else, black presenter. And then they'll go, we'll go around the room. Okay, is that the consensus? Yeah, we, we saw black presenter. Okay, good, 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 good. Let's do this one more time. And I'll name somebody popular. You and I both know these names. So I'll name someone that I know everyone in the room, they know, but he's white. If he walked into the room, would you see the presenter or the white presenter? And they get quiet again. Come on now, come on, come on. Those chairs get very uncomfortable, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, I call myself the discomfort speaker. That's, I'm, I'm in there to make people squirm. That's, that's why I do this. I'm not there to motivate. Those days are like 10 years behind me, right? I'm, I, because it doesn't last long. Motivation lasts till you get to the parking lot. But, but, but if the presenter can sting you, that thing going to hurt for a while, right? So, so now I say, come on, who, who'd you see? And they say, so finally someone breaks the ice. They say, 
I saw a presenter, right? Okay, very good. Someone else, jump on in here. I saw a presenter. Someone else, presenter. All right, let's talk about it, right? Now, I, you know, having pride in who I am as, 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 as a black man, I don't have a problem with someone seeing that, but, 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 but that's, that's not relevant in, this, in this, this scenario. What's relevant is you're not seeing me as normal. You, I'm not, I can't just be a presenter, right? To the people that didn't know me. The people that know me, that's, that's, that's a different discussion. But the people that didn't know me, I can't just walk in there and just be the presenter of the day. I was the black guy. But then the popular white guy, he's not the white guy. He's the presenter. So, you're, so, so he's normal to you. So now as we delve deeper, tell me why this happened. And it's the natural, because I've never seen this before. I've never been in a situation like this before where I'm sitting in PD and there's this black guy in here teaching us these concepts or whatever it is that I'm, that I'm, that I'm working with that day. So now this cognitive dissonance going on because I don't, you know, whatever, however it is that they see an African-American man, because I, I don't want to come across wrong on this presentation either, this, this uh, interview, but however it is that they see an African-American, it may not jive with what I'm doing in that moment, which is being very professional and, and, and delivering a message or engaging in a training. So now, and, and as we get, as, as we dive deep into this, there are many who will say to me, it's different for me. I'm, I'm not, I'm not used to this. I'm, I'm used to sitting here and it's a white man or a white woman and they, they engage us in a presentation. I've never seen a black guy. They'll say to me, I've seen one on a video, but I haven't seen it in person. So it was, it was, it was unusual for me. And then you couple that with, like I, I tell folks all the time when we talk about cultural responsiveness and cultural competency, I made a decision a very long time ago that, as a presenter in terms of my delivery style, I'm gonna be me. And if I don't make it in this industry, it's, 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 it's gonna be because I wouldn't, I, 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 I wouldn't acquiesce and, 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 and be who an audience would want me to be. So, so, so when, I'm, when I'm on stage and I'm jumping around and I'm loud and I'm doing the things I'm doing because it's an extension of who I am, and it, it, which, which, which is rooted in culture. Right. So I said, I'm, I'm going to be me. Audience, don't judge me on that. Get this content. But I'm going to deliver it the way I feel comfortable, like I'm doing in this interview, the way I feel comfortable presenting it. Right. So just that in and of itself, I'm teaching an audience to be culturally responsive. Get past the way I'm delivering this and get this information. No, it's 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 it. I, it's subtle in one way in the delivery, but it's absolutely not. And I think it's brilliant. Uh, it's genius on your part. Let's close with this. I think that this might take us to a deeper level, but I am very curious because uh, you and I have worked in education a long time. This is these things are not shocking, but I do think from a community perspective, you get people sort of you know saying, "Did I hear that correctly?" We talk about social uh, justice or injustice. The one thing that is coming up now, which I'm happy to see because it is a necessary part of this discussion outside of what we're doing in February or March, right, is the funding inequities. When you look at districts that are, that students are predominantly, uh, that they're students of color, the amount of money that they're working with is far less than districts that are, right, the opposite in that regard. What did you, 
how do you approach this discussion? Because I feel like it has to be a part of this meal that maybe we're putting together here where we're breaking bread, if we use that as a, right? Um, is how do we even think about that? Because when you look at the, the inequities on the funding side of things, we can't sit here and argue, well, you know, maybe we just need to sort of beef up on our education, read some books that Principal Kefele put on Facebook, which was an amazing post that you had, by the way, Appreciate you. a few weeks ago. Um, how do we approach that discussion? Because to me, that really gets, I mean, <laughs> we're getting pretty deep now because if we're talking funding, that's when we understand where people's uh, allegiances are, uh, what's rooted in those allegiances, how they understand their role in that, right? You know, who's the presenter in front of us when we think about the almighty dollar. You think about, you know, there's a lot of ways to look at that. And one of them, you think about the, you think about a tax base in, in just various different communities. And you think about how, how, how these, are, these, these communities that, that are predominantly people of color who have been redlined into these communities and thereby have these lower tax bases and, 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 and therefore can't fund education the same way as a community that has wealth, right? So, so now, but, but, we're, but, but we're all in the same state. And, and, and we all profess to be, to, that we're gonna provide young people with a world-class education. So, but, but if economically, which, 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 which has its roots in racism as well. So if economically there, there's not a tax base to, it, to be able to fund education at the rate that, that, that up the highway, any, any, given, any given inner city, just a few minutes up the highway, there's wealth. And because a lot of cases, that's where them highways were built to over to drive right over those towns, like here in Jersey. So here in the North area. So 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 now the state has the in, in New Jersey, we, they, the state has looked at that in, in a sense of we, we get that we understand it because the because the wealthier communities, are, they, they stay upset in this state by the fact that so much money comes out of the State Department to fund the urban schools. Right. So they're like, wait a minute, where, where, what about us? Right. But you got to have that disparity because of the, because of the fact that you can't afford to fund education to bring it up, bring it to par with the other districts based on property taxes. It, it, I mean, it's just not going to happen. And I remember that vividly when I was a principal and therefore needing that state funding just to get us to a level where we can do the things that we wanted to do. So as long as you've got segregated communities the way we do, right? We're going to continue to have that problem. So therefore, we have to continue to be vocal about it in terms of just ensuring that the schools are, are, are equitably funded. But with COVID-19, we, we saw something, something that we knew, but, but, it, but it just became so salient. And that was the volume of young people, particularly young people of color, that have no access to a computer, no access to connectivity, no access to Wi-Fi, no access to a hotspot. So education came to a screeching immediate halt somewhere around March 10, March 15 within that window. And it hasn't occurred since for those young people in a formal sense. If their parents were able to provide to, to, to kind of fill in the, the, the void there, then, then, then fine, but it wasn't formal, right? So you got all these young people that it just, it just became manifest because of this virus. So now the question, going back to your question, moving forward, what do we do about that? I did, a, I did an interview with someone two days ago and, and I said to them, I said, look, if, if, if I'm principal in 2020, I have certain influence and I'm gonna use that influence. I, there, there is no way in the world, and I can say this definitively, although I'm not in a school, 
that they'll that I'm going to have students enrolled in my school that are not being educated because of because of inequity in funding, right? As it relates to a computer, I'm going to use my influence to the best I can to ensure that those young people are being educated via virtual learning because they have connectivity and they have a laptop. They got their own laptop because if I got five, six kids in the house and everybody's teacher is on at the same time, then, then you might as well say they don't have one at all. So I'm going to make sure that they have it. So it's, so, it's, so it's a matter of being extremely proactive. It's a matter of being extremely intentional. And, and the mass is just not accepting the status quo in this regard anymore. Well, you and I could chat for, for a very long time, and, and maybe we need to add to this discussion. I want to make sure people can get in contact with you. Are you, tell me about your Facebook rules. Are you good with people searching for you on Facebook? I find oh, yeah, that incredibly yeah. valuable, but where should they go to be connected with you? Yeah, social media. I'm at Facebook. Um, no friend space unless I've, someone dropped me within the past hour or so. But, um, but you can follow me because they give you unlimited following. You know, one of the biggest regrets I have is I didn't, I didn't start with one of those public pages. I started with a personal page and now I have like 30,000 followers. So it's too late for me to start because I can't get all them folks to move over. I tried that and it, it just didn't work. So, so follow me and you'll have access to me. And then on face, that's two words. And then on Twitter, one word, princi at Principal Cafele. And then my website, uh, principalcafele.com. So those are, those are the ways of reaching me. Well, keep, keep being you. Uh, I know I don't need to be the one telling you, you're, you do, you know, not, you're, you get up, you wake up with this kind of energy. So it's so necessary and needed uh, for, for all kinds of communities uh, and, and the nation at large. So continued success. And I hope that your voice reaches as far and as wide as possible. You're listening to Education Today, presented by Soundtrap for Education. Make sure to participate in the conversation on Twitter by following at Soundtrap and sharing your thoughts. Now back to our show. Well, this is, uh, oftentimes I'll say it's a treat to, to be talking to, my, to the guests that I, that I interview, and that is absolutely the case today with Dr. Patrice Pereira. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about her background in just a second. But I also want to uh, provide a little bit of commentary that I think the discussion we're going to have today is incredibly important uh, and provides hopefully context for whatever the next conversation is within your district, your community, and your home. And I think that that is um, incredibly important during these times as I hope education uh, is a leader in the conversations that we have about the way in which we uh, interact with one another uh, and understand our value as human beings. Uh, we wanna welcome in, like I said, Dr. Catrice Pereira. Uh, she's superintendent of Gresham Barlow School uh, School Board. Uh, they selected her in uh, July of 2017. Dr. Pereira, I can't believe it's been 2017 already. I know when we chatted in the very beginning, uh, she's a former national director of Urban Markets Division with McGraw-Hill Education. Prior to her work with McGraw-Hill, she served as superintendent of the Isle of Wright County Schools in Smithfield, Virginia for four years. And during that time, she received the National Association of School Superintendents 2015 Superintendent of the Year Award. Well, um, Dr. Pereira, it's really great to be spending some time with you today. And I, I, let's just open it up in this manner is to say the concept, the topic um, of social justice in education, if we add that, is, is I think a, a sort of a broad um, concept that people are taking in, in a number of different directions. How do you segment it, not only as a superintendent, but as a community member, a family member, when you think about social justice and the role that education can play? 
Well, um, thank you uh, for having me here today. Um, I always enjoy opportunities to be able to push uh, information regarding uh, public education. So watch me along the way and pull me back in when I've gone too far off, please. Uh, <laughs> because we're talking about something I'm very passionate about and sometimes I can go off on tangents. But to look at the work at, at social justice piece, I think each culture has its own identifiable uh, social and political context. And to be an educator um, in the United States, especially today, now more than ever, um, as educators serving a community, we need to be um, aware on the social and political pieces or contexts and how it impacts education and the students' experience that they're going to have in the classroom. Um, and so I would say, and I would challenge my colleagues to, to look at how, what, how do we unlearn? Um, but not only unlearn, but how do we blend things together to best help our students? Um, our students are, are becoming more and more uh, culturally diverse. Um, however, many of our staff that are serving these students are not. Um, and I, I have different theories because of that, uh, but nonetheless, a fact is fact. Um, you know, I will say here in Gresham Barlow, uh, by the way, we are about six or seven miles southeast of uh, Portland, Portland, Oregon, of about almost 12,000 kids. Um, but our demographics of our students here um, is very diverse. We have um, about 43% of our students are students of color. Whereas my staff, unfortunately, is not. I would tell you about 85% are, are not. Um, nonetheless, I think as educators, we have to combine the social justice piece, the multicultural education, and the cult and, and into what I, not I call, but Zaretta Hammond's work of being culturally responsive. Um, and Zaretta, uh, talks about being able to blend those. You know, we, we're not going to be able to get through this with by celebrating holidays and heroes. Um, we've got to dig a little deeper. And we're seeing now more than ever, as you and I had a pre-conversation, that sometimes we don't all know the entire story. Um, but knowing some social and political contexts of what's going on, and how it will impact the student in your classroom and their learning uh, is now more than ever. Um, and I also would challenge higher ed because how do you get to become a teacher? You haven't had, a, you know, education on the different cultural backgrounds or um, social political contexts that will impact students in your classroom. Uh, I think it should be a part of every education program. So, and I appreciate the transparency in talking about sort of the, the makeup of, your, of the staff within the district. Um, and I would imagine that that you're facing uh, challenges and or opportunities uh, like many superintendents that have a similar, a similar makeup. How do you even approach the conversation? Because when I think, you know, I'll just I'll <laughs> speak for myself. I think about social justice and young people and the passion that they can bring, especially as you start to get a little bit older and you start to understand you can have a voice, you know, whether you're a teenager or you're a five-year-old in the burger household that think you already have a voice. <laughs> Um, is, you know, they want to play a role in that regard. And so I would imagine that if your educators are not representative of the student body sort of, you know, um, in mass, what kind of support or how do you think about providing support so that those conversations as we even think about getting back to school and what that might look like, and I want to touch on some of that in a minute, how do we provide support for those educators that might be absolutely um, perplexed as to how to even approach these conversations without sounding 
ignorant, condescending, um, you know, just unsympathetic to sort of how young people might be feeling during very confusing times. Well, I think you um, approach it in whatever resources you have available. Um, but how we have decided to approach it here in Gresham Barlow, um, and the recent events has not necessarily caused us to go in that direction. I realize that coming here, uh, being the only administrator truly of color at that point, um, coming into a school district that had been in existence for a long, long time. Um, and that didn't bother me. And, and when I spoke to my dad about it, he's like, you know, Catrice, maybe you're the first, but don't be the last. Uh, and so being able to speak to our educators truly from a standpoint of how do we fit into that and what do we need to do? And we've utilized um, Zaretta Hammond's work um, around cultural responsive teaching and the brain. Um, I find her work to be um, very on point and, and encourages uh, educators to do what I shared earlier of combining that multicultural education and the social justice piece uh, so that they can become culturally responsive. Um, in her work, she um, really focuses on closing the achievement gaps um, in diverse classrooms um, and a need to prove, a, to have a proven framework, if you will, uh, for optimizing all students' learning. Um, Zaretta's work has been very valuable um, to us because I found in Oregon, we romanticize the heck out of uh, equity and uh, inclusion uh, and social justice pieces, uh, but we, there's not a whole lot of actions going on. Um, so we talk the talk, but not everyone walks it, um, and I get it. However, with Zaretta's work, I was able to bring to the staff together and, and center around that. Are we perfect at this point? Absolutely not. Um, but we tried to stand, take a stance on four different pillars within that culturally responsive piece. Um, and that's understanding, again, one, that social and political piece, um, building trust through relationships. Um, kids who sometimes uh, have challenges outside of school, they're really savvy at knowing who cares about them. And it has to be very genuine. Um, and then also focusing on improving um, our partnerships within our community so our kids have exposure and our community has exposure to our students. Uh, again, if you drive around Gresham, you will not see much, much diversity. However, if you walk into our school buildings, uh, that is when we are able to come back to our buildings, you're able to see that you know, we have a large portion of our students that are, are diverse. Um, and the other piece is really looking at improving the brain's information processing um, through cultural uh, knowledge. What, what role do parents play in this? I would imagine there's a delicate balance and caregivers, I should say. A lot of kids are raised by grandparents and, and uncles and aunts and that kind of a thing. But what role can they play? Should they play? How should they be included even in sort of the professional development and support that you provide your classroom teachers? Because, you know, there are, these, are, these are heavy topics um, that can yield, you know, quite an emotional reaction. And I would imagine that the conversation that the district has with the, you know, the caregiver, the caregivers in the community is going to be important so that they are, I guess, abreast of how these things might be handled or discussed. Um, I know as a parent, that might be interesting to me to know how these things will be uh, broached so that I can be of support to my own child. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I don't necessarily have the million dollar answer to that question. However, what I can say is that um, I think it's important um, for parents, and again, I never want to be able to tell parents what to do with their kids um, because that's their choice. 
Um, and because as a parent myself, I don't really want people to tell me what to do either. Uh, but obviously I would heed to um, advice of some sort. And I would share that today's news and things that are going on, the atrocities that are going on across the nation um, and the uprising of people here having their voices heard uh, is an opportunity for families to really start talking with their kids and raising them to be very conscious about the inequalities uh, within everyday social environments. Um, and, and you can see that in all aspects. If you, the achievement gaps that happen in education, the, the work pay equity that happens in the workplace, um, as well as the political aspects of life. Um, I think those things are important. As, as a parent myself, I try to ensure that my children were aware, again, uh, of our history as well. Uh, cultural history, um, and that doesn't mean just the heroes and the, you know the holidays, um, and you know celebrating uh, a history one month out of the year. Heck, I think I'm black every single day uh, that I wake up in the mornings, um, and so you know if I don't celebrate myself or my culture or my my children um, on a on a regular basis, why would I wait for one month to do that? And yeah. why should the rest of our students do? Now, I don't have control over content and curriculum for states, um, and that is decided by, you know, beyond my pay grade. However, uh, it is important that we look at opportunities to weave that into our current curriculum without something being separate. Because uh, right now we have the dominant cultures, um, I guess, social political view and peace and values, they're already weaved into our system. Um, and so, I think looking at families and, and talking with their children about the inequalities so they can be conscious of these things that are going on um, and having it and how it interplays and affects um, the cognitive aspects of, of their learning. So let's, let's go outside of Gresham Barlow. Uh, and I love your, your thought on this, that we've seen, you know, headlines of districts that are basically stripping away the arts given the sort of the, now the, the, the incredible budget challenges that are going to be, fa you know, uh, facing districts. I, I don't, I don't want to be a cynic here, but it's, you know, given what we're talking about with social justice an an area and an opportunity for a young person to express themselves to me, uh, you know, the arts is an incredible um, opportunity to do that and to bring kids together to express themselves outside of a lesson plan, outside of a, you know, a textbook and that kind of formality. And it makes me just concerned as a citizen that, you know, we, we've got something as powerful as the arts in education and we're seeing more and more, it feels like a domino effect. You know, every week there's another major district that's saying we're going to take away the arts uh, for the next year, year and a half. Do you have any, any thoughts on that when we think about just the ways in which we can provide support, the relationship to curriculum and opportunity that a student has? Sure. If we're going to focus on the whole child, you have to have the arts as a part of that, right? Um, you can't just focus on what is being assessed. Um, however, if you're going to assess me on something, more than likely I'm going to make sure that I'm doing those things, right? Um, and I would, ask, I would ask that people reflect on this scenario that there's been a lot of education reform over the last, I would say, since my 20 years of my, of my career. But there's been very little progress, if you will, as a whole group. Now, there are pockets, the districts and schools that are doing great work. And so I don't want to take away from that. But as a whole system, we have to ask ourselves why that reform hasn't really taken to scale. 
um, throughout the country um, and look for ways to improve. Um, and I think education itself has been centered around uh, conformity and compliance. We've allowed uh, people, legislators, to make decisions about what happens in a classroom um, and for all for accountability. And I'm not afraid of accountability, but to hold me stringent to something that I need to take. I'll ask you this question, Rod. These last few months, nobody has taken standardized testing pretty much. So it makes me question the validity of them and the importance of them. If we could just drop those on a, on a, you know, on a dime and not do them, how important are they really? It's a very fair they're, question. They're not. Um, they're not that, uh, that important for a student because here's the thing. The reality, have you ever hired anybody who can uh, fill in a, a Scantron sheet? <laughs> no, I can't say that I have. No, I need free have things. Ever, <laughs> I need fluidity, right? I need the ability Correct. to pivot, like all these things. Not, you know, the people that check the box actually are the ones that it, 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 I think it's very hard to be creative as a collaborative group, you know, as a yeah. group. And that, you know, but we. Conformity have, and compliance. Yeah, conformity. It's been conformity and compliance over and over again. And, and, you know, again, not afraid of accountability. I don't think there's an educator alive that's afraid of accountability. However, if we're really going to teach kids and prepare them for the livelihood that they need, now more than ever, what, are, what skills do our kids need? Problem solving. They need uh, creative thinking. And you can get those through the arts. You can get those because there's no answer, right? Answer on the page, right? You're creating something. You're creating something for your mind and really applying what you know. Um, that's why I think, you know, we've moved here, not just with the arts, but moved to project-based learning because I want to see that a kid could actually apply that learning as opposed to them being able to regurgitate, memorize facts on a bubble sheet at the end of the, end of the school year. Um, that's, that's not me. That's, that's not learning. And what it's happening is it's creating gaps. It's creating gaps because kids want to be engaged. Uh, <clears throat> and all that they're doing is just listening to or coming to and watching the teacher work. I'm sorry, there's not a kid that I know of that gets up to come to school for math or just for English. They come to engage. They come to apply. Um, and that's why you see kids who are involved in the arts. You see kids who are involved in CTE or in sports and athletics and contributing to the school. They're involved, they're engaged, and they're coming to school to be a part of those things. They're not coming to just do math uh, in English. <laughs> I'm sorry, I mean, those things are important, um, but I don't think there's a kid alive that wakes up. I think people can, res can relate to that. Um, let's close with this, Dr. Pereira. I'd like to understand just the sense of responsibility. It may not be that at all, but I think it would be important to understand you know, being a woman of color, leading a district, having the, the, the background in education that you have, how do you balance a sense of responsibility and what I might call getting it right? I mean, do you have a, what level of anxiety do you um, sort of dance with in your own mind when you think about getting it right in balancing, you know, not only social justice and all the, you know, this, these heavy topics, right? Uh, but a pandemic in that manner. I, I, would, I would think knowing you like I do and, and how passionate you are about your job, this is not just a passing fancy that's just going to sort of blow over at all. This is uh, an opportunity for life's work to be sort of painted on the canvas. And I'm just curious as to how you manage that as a, as a human being yourself. Well, thank you for asking that question, Rod, because, you know, again, I know who I am and what I look like every single day when I wake up, look in the mirror and brush my teeth. I know exactly what I look like. 
Um, and that is a very delicate balance. And it's not just because of what's going on now. I can tell you that is every single day of, of what I do. I'm con always conscious of what I'm doing, what I'm saying, and how am I doing that? Because I never want to fit into a category of a stereotype. Um, and again, that's been ingrained in me since I was a little girl uh, of insurance. My grandmother used to say, you represent more than just yourself when you walk outside this door. Um, and that meant wherever I was going, whatever I was doing, I, she wanted to make sure I gave the best representation of our family. Um, but I constantly have to, you know, check myself based on, the, again, what's going on politically. Um, and I recognize that how I position myself in those things um, can put me in a situation where, uh, you know, I can be uh, impactful or not. And I'm trying and always looking for ways in which I can make the biggest impact. And most importantly as well, for students who've been uh, historically uh, underserved. Um, and so, you know, I'm trying to widen my aperture uh, to allow for multiple interpretations of things. Um, I'm trying to see things through my lens and through the lens of others to ensure that I'm not, you know, crossing any cultural beliefs that others may have um, or playing into them, right? Um, but again, I have to challenge my preconceived notions um, to help guide my steps, uh, what I do every day. Um, and I would ask that every educator looks and reflects on a regular basis and recognize that they have to do a lot of unlearning as we move forward. Because there's no reason we've had all of this reform work being done and not much has changed. And the only common denominator in that is who's delivering the service. Well, uh, and point well taken. You, as, as we close out, you, you were a powerhouse before all of these things hit our proverbial table and, and a definitely a needed voice now, uh, if ever more. So continued success. The community is lucky to have you there. And uh, we just appreciate spending some time when I know how valuable that is, given all that is going on. We want to thank uh, the superintendent of Gresham Barlow, Dr. Patrice Pereira. I am your host, Dr. Rod Berger. Thank you for listening to this episode of Education Today, presented by Soundtrap for Education. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you again next time right here in the studio.